Welcome to the Champions Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this week's message. To learn more about Champions Church, visit GodsChampions.com. So we had, uh, we had such, we have been having such a wonderful time with Kathy's brother, and who's my brother too. After all these years of our marriage, enjoying this fellowship and relationship. And Jeff and Mel Janae Rostasil, along with Soraya, Kiani, and Hadara. I love these guys. They're amazing. It's such an honor to have Jeff here with us today and Mel Janae. They've ministered literally all around the world. He's a book writer, an author, they train the body of Christ in hearing the voice of God and flowing in the prophetic, flowing in the gifts of the Spirit. And today we have an honor at Champions Church on Father's Day to have Jeff Rostasil, Mel Janae, and the family here with us. I want you to do something. Stand with me and welcome this great man of God as he comes to minister the word today. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Oh, I can tell already there's a lot of forgiveness needed in this house this morning. You guys, you guys are going to have to give, forgive your pastor for exaggerating all those nice things about me. And you're going to have to forgive me for loving it so much. So, okay, all right. Uh, yes, I am uh, Kathy, Pastor Kathy's younger brother. Uh, but don't confuse younger with young, because I just turned 51 this last week. And yeah, thank you. Um, but, uh, you know, when you turn that age, you sort of start to feel your age a little bit more. And for those who would say, oh, that's, 51 is not that old, right? Let me just, um, I, I ran across this statistic that Florida is the sixth oldest population by median age in the United States. Did you know that? The, the, the state that you're living in is the sixth oldest with the average age of 42.7 years old. So if you're like me and you're older than 42.7, well, congratulations, you're above average, so that's really great. Um, I'm, uh, I'm at that age now where I start getting these kind of comments, and these comments go something like, oh, you're, you're 50 years old, oh, you look really good for your age. You get those ones before, like, for your age, like, that's, is that a criticism or, or a compliment, right? You know, someone say, hey, man, you must, work, you must work, you're 50, you must work out or something because you look pretty fit for your age. Like, can you just leave the for your age out of that part? Can you just say, hey, you look good, you look fit? Um, I had an eye appointment not too long ago, and, uh, you know, so I go to the eye appointment, and they have, you know, the eye chart there, right? I used to be great at the eye charts. So I'm there, and he's like, okay, can you read line one? All right, E, got it. All right, line two, uh, it's either an F or a P. Uh, the next one, that's an S, uh, or is that a five? That's a backwards three. That one looks like a candy cane. Uh, wait, that one is the, uh, is that the pie symbol? And let's see, uh, that, uh, that's, well, I know what that one, that is either a pyramid or a poop emoji. I know that, right? I didn't do so good on that. I'm like, well, what kind of eye chart is this? Hieroglyphics, you know, I don't know. 
Um, but anyway, so the, he gives me the full examination, and, and at the end, you know, I, I'm, I'm like, well, how'd we do, Doc? And he said, well, not bad. And then that pause came, and I'm like, no, no, don't say it. For your age. Oh, man. So I'm at that age now where um, people my age start developing a condition. And the condition is known as, I think I can do that stuff still. <laughs> now, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a genuine condition, and um, it's a mental disorder, and it, it distorts reality. Because you think you can do things that you used to do back in high school, things like dunk a basketball, or jump over a fence, or how about pull an all-nighter? Now, some of the symptoms of this condition are uh, difficulty ex exiting the shower without injury, <laughs> chipping the occasional tooth when you're eating. Uh, what's that other one? Oh, yeah, memory loss. I forgot about that one. You forget stuff all the time. How about this one? Sighing when you sit. I just noticed that I've been doing this recently. I'll sit down and I'll just be like, ah, why do I do that? I need to stop doing that. How about this one? Can't touch your toes. Now, is there anyone over 50 that has had, that you're, yeah, that's great. I threw up my back the other day, sneezing. That's right. This didn't happen, I was sneezing. Ah, my back, my I guess it goes with the age. It took, it took a whole day of bad gas to pop that sucker back into place, you know. <laughs> it's like, I know it smells around the house, but my back's feeling better, you know. <laughs> Who needs a chiropractor when you have beans? <laughs> All right. <laughs> this message is quickly going off the rails, so we got to rein this thing back in. Uh, I want you to turn, if you have a Bible, or you're going to be looking on 2 Kings chapter 6. We're actually going to read about a gentleman in the Bible who was mocked for his age. So that's how it all relates to what I just said. 2 Kings chapter 6, and um, yes, I am an, an author. I do have a gaggle of books out there. Um, I would just like to give you a preview. This one's called Unshakable. It's about the kingdom of God. Hebrews 12 says that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And this is a manual on how to release the kingdom of God in your community, in your family. Uh, this is probably my most fiery book, which is why there's fire on the front and there's like a tornado and hurricane. That's really good for Florida area. And um, no, th this, uh, this was uh, years of training and how do we train people in the supernatural to go when they go out into the community or wherever it is to do three things, which would, what Jesus did with the disciples. He, he gave them basically three assignments go preach the kingdom, heal the sick, and cast out devils. And so it's really a training manual on how to do that. So we got a lot of cool stories in there over the years, different areas, uh, countries we've been to, uh, where we've seen some uh, uh, incredible stuff. This one is called Bulletproof. This is probably my most prophetic book. Uh, Psalm 91, and it really is a study of Psalm 91, talks about uh, things like pandemics and uh, war and uh, things that uh, are, are coming and that are still going to be coming upon our nation. Uh, but it also gives a promise on what to do and how to, how to see protection over yourself and over your family. Uh, the story, the book opens with a story of a shooting in our neighborhood and how God protected our family from that. Um, so this is, this is really a now word 
That one's called Bulletproof. This one, it's called Hand on the Line. Um, my buddy Steve Wisniewski, who was a, a professional football player, played for the Raiders for 13 years. He was an eight-time pro bowler. Good friend of mine, brother, brother in the Lord. He wanted to share his story, and so he asked me, can we write together? So uh, if you like football, you're going to like this. If you, if you like the Raiders, you're going to, this is a must read. Uh, but uh, he shares all kinds of cred credible stories. This is a really great book for men. On Father's Day, this would be a great present for dad on Father's Day. It talks about how to be a man of God and how to lead your family. And Steve really does a great job at getting you insight into football, into his life, into his, his career. In fact, um, he, he retired, if anybody knows their football history, the tuck rule game. Anybody know that, that game when the Raiders lost to the Patriots the first year that Tom Brady and his team won the Super Bowl? Uh, that was Steve Wisniewski's uh, retirement game. That was his last game of his career. But he talks about the ins and outs, what was happening behind the scenes on that game. So it's uh, really intriguing. But he, uh, Steve then talks about how uh, his calling in life was in football and what was it. And so that's back there as well. That one's been out of um, stock for a while, so I'm glad to have that. And then this one is probably is my newest book. It took me 10 years to write this one. Uh, thus, you can see how thick it is. We've got 10 years of research in this. It's called Lies of Our Fathers, and uh, this has been a journey that God has taken me on and our family on. Uh, it, it really is challenging some of the uh, traditional things that we've been taught and uh, looking at it from a new perspective. Um, about 12 years ago, the Lord began to speak to us about what the new covenant is and what it looks like. And, you know, as, as we read about what the new covenant is, it says that he has put his laws upon our hearts. He'll write them upon our minds. And what does that really look like? And how do we walk that out? So this is the most theological book. It's also the most controversial book. So if you're interested in reading controversial books, this would be a good one for you. Um, I was recently called a heretic online for writing this. So uh, you can read for yourself if that's the case. All right. Uh, second key, we got those back there. So by the way, and there, there's a little, there is a fee for them. There's a charge. But if uh, you're not able to pay that, uh, we'll, we'll gladly give you a book. And uh, we brought, uh, I actually mailed the books this way, but I don't want to have to take them home. So what I'm going to do is if anybody wants to get the lives of the Father, Fathers, uh, we'll throw in another book for free just so that we don't have to cart all these books home. I just want to leave them with you guys. And again, if you can't afford it, we'll, we'll gladly uh, give you a book. All right. All right. Second Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Father, I thank you for your word. It's beautiful, powerful. I ask that you would speak to us, open up our eyes, see wonderful things in your law. Teach us, correct us, rebuke us, encourage us, strengthen us, and most of all, help us to live it out. We ask for wisdom, insight, discernment, knowledge, understanding, and revelation. In Jesus' name. Amen. Second Kings, chapter 6, verse 1. Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, see the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan, and each of us get there a log, and let us make a place for us to dwell. And he answered, Go. Then one of them said, Be pleased to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was felling a log, his axe fell into the water, and he cried out, Alas, master, it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place. He cut off a stick, and he threw it there and made the iron float. And he said, take it up. So he reached out his hand, and he took it up. Elisha is one of my favorite characters of Scripture. And the story of his life, as he was a boy, he was out in the field, and he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, when the great prophet Elijah comes and throws his coat on the young boy. And it, 
It meant that he was calling Elisha to be the protege of Elijah, the great prophet, to be his servant. And so Elisha says, let me go back and greet my parents first and say goodbye to them. So he goes back. He says goodbye to his parents. He takes the oxen. He slaughters them, gives the meat to the townspeople. And then he goes and he follows Elijah wherever he would go. And long story short, it comes to where Elijah is taken up into heaven through a whirlwind. A, a chariots of fire from heaven come and take him. And the mantle falls. And it falls upon Elisha. And he's given a double portion of what Elijah walked in. And if you read in scripture, Elisha did twice as much as what was recorded of Elijah. Elijah prophesied, but Elisha prophesied more. Elisha multiplied bread. Elisha extended the widow's oil, if you remember that story. He, he, he healed the poison stew when it was causing sickness. He called down blindness on people. He summoned the she-bears when they were teasing him about his bald head. He raised a boy from the dead. I mean, talk about a resume. This prophet had this great spiritual resume, yet his greatest miracle happened after his death. And we sang about it in one of the songs today. And the story is, if you don't know the story, Elisha is dead and he's buried. He's in this grave. And there is a funeral going on. This is months, years, I don't know. It doesn't say later. There's a funeral going on. And just at that time, the enemy raiders begin to come in. So they take this man who's dead and they just say, well, we got to... So they throw him in Elisha's tomb and they got to go hide. It says that the minute that the man's body touches Elisha's bones, he revives. So wait, you got you to catch this for me. Listen, if you could raise the dead, you, you know you've got a pretty strong anointing on your life. How many would agree with that? If somebody who can raise the dead, they're, they're, you're anointed, okay? But if you're dead and you can raise the dead, you know you're bad, all right? That's just, that's another level, right? And this is Elisha. And in this passage, the young prophets, they come to Elisha and they say, listen, the place where we are is too small. We've got to build a bigger home to house us. And so they do that. They go over to the Jordan and they're, they're, they're cutting down these trees. They're going to build this structure. And it says one of the men, one of the young prophets had this axe and it was, it was a borrowed axe. And as he swung it, the axe head fell and went into the water and sunk. And the man says, oh, it was borrowed. What do we do, Elisha? And Elisha says, well, where did it fall? And he's right there. And so he gets a stick. He throws it into the water. And contrary to science, contrary to the laws of physics, the iron floats and they pick it up, right? It's a cool story. And there's probably a lot we can glean from it. But this morning, what I want to hone in on is how do we respond to unexpected loss? And how should we respond to unexpected loss? You know, we all experience loss of many kinds. And really, in the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of loss in our family, in our communities, in our churches. And some of that loss has been economic loss. Maybe you're experiencing loss in the area of security or privacy or some of your freedoms. Or if you're from California like us, some of your basic freedoms, like freedom of speech. Or maybe it's been more serious things like the loss of your health, the loss of your innocence, the loss of a loved one. These are all things that we deal with in life and maybe you're dealing with today. I'm discovering for me, and I've experienced loss as well, that my response, my response to loss directly influences my recovery from the loss. Let me say it again. My response to loss 
directly influences my recovery from the loss. My tendency is, and our tendency, is to do one of two things. We either react or respond. Now, reacting is the right, is, sorry, is the wrong way to deal with loss. Reaction is usually more emotional. It's, you know, we get angry when something happens, or we blame somebody, or we're afraid, or we fall into depression. That's a reaction. It's, a, it's an emotional, probably fleshly re response to things. Some people, when they experience loss, they, they want to seek revenge on who it is that stole from them, or they self-medicate with drugs or alcohol, right? That's a reaction. But what God wants to do with us is he wants us to respond. Now, response is a different way of doing it. It's a measured way. It's a spiritual, I'm going to use wisdom in how I respond to this. Godly response, it meets, you know, protest with prayer. It meets fear with faith. It meets blame with blessing. It, it meets anger with peace. It meets a mess with a miracle. And that's exactly what happened in this passage. There was a mess. All right, the guy had this axe. It was, wasn't even his, and he lost it into the river. And the young prophet, it says that he, he cried out to Elisha. And really, I believe this symbolizes for you and I that when we're going through a crisis or a loss, the right way to respond in that is first to turn to the one who can help us the most. And sometimes it's an indication of where I'm at with God. Am I reacting? Am I lashing out? Am I, you know, saying a bad word? Am I being moody? Or is my first response, okay, God, I need help. Is my first response prayer? And I love what our brother was sharing about prayer. Thank you for sharing that. Man, that should be really our first response. To go to the master. He entreated the master, and, and it's like prayer. See, because more important than the outcome of our crisis is our response to crisis. And in this passage, God altered the laws of gravity through one man's re right response to loss. And that's what prayer does. Prayer is the right response. You know, I've heard it said that prayer is, and there it is, prayer is the most powerful force in the universe. It has, how did he know what I was going to say? This is amazing. Um, Prayer is the most powerful force in the universe. Thank you for bringing that up. It has the ability to circumnavigate the laws of physics by sanctioning God's intervention. Woo! That motivates me right there. That's prayer. Do you remember the story in 2 Kings chapter 20? Hezekiah is ill and on his deathbed. And Isaiah, God says, I want you to go find the king. So he walks into the king's palace and he says, King Hezekiah, get your house in order. You're going to die. See ya. That was his word. Can you imagine somebody, hey, hey, brother, I've got a prophetic word for you. Just if, you know, just God wants to bless you. You're going to die. All right. See you. God bless you. That's basically what happened. The prophet came in and said, get your house in order. You're going to die. But do you remember what happened in that story? It says that Hezekiah was so wrought with, 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 with the presence of God or with his own life. It says that he turned towards the wall. He cried out to God. He got down on his knees and he says, Oh Lord, have mercy on me. And Isaiah is walking out of the palace. And the, the Lord stops him and says, I want you to go back. 
So he goes back, he opens the door, and he says, King Hezekiah, the Lord has heard your prayer. He's given you 15 more years. Wow. Now, of course, those 15 years weren't so great for King Hezekiah. It might have been better had he died. I don't know. But the point of the matter is, is that Hezekiah altered his destiny by his response to bad news. Did you know that a right response to bad news has the ability to change bad news? I've got my, my family here with me today. I'm honored. This is part of my Father's Day is to have my family here with me. They're right up here in front. And uh, I think we have some pictures of them. I want to put those pictures up and show how, how blessed I am to have a, a great family. My wife, Melgene, is sitting right here in the front row. Uh, we've been married almost 20 years. She is a gem. She's a Filipino flame ball. She is a Proverbs 31 woman. She can pray down the house. She is... Uh, uh, my partner, we've traveled the world together, but she is a, she is a gem, and she, she does everything great, from cooking to sewing to uh, homeschools our kid. It, do we have, oh, we do have pictures. Okay, and there's, oh, there she is. That's my wife. Uh, yep, this is my family here. Uh, we go to the next picture. I didn't realize we had them up here. Okay, yes, that's us. There we are. Keep, you can roll the next one. That's us at a Giants game. The only real baseball, no, I'm just kidding. No, I'm not that kind of fan. This, okay, let's, hold, let's stay on this one. This is my daughter, Hadara. This is our youngest. She's 11 years old. And uh, she has uh, got such a sweetheart. She is a high-level gymnast. And uh, we're actually, we're in town because all three of my children were competing in a gym meet uh, here in Orlando. So, uh, and she did uh, amazing, as she always does. Uh, next picture, here's another picture of her. She's... Uh, She's sweet and uh, sweet and strong. Her middle name is Salah, which means, uh, it comes from scripture, it means a secret weapon. So she's our secret weapon. Okay, next, this is my son. Uh, he's, uh, he's 13. This is Kiani, and uh, he's a young man of God. He reads his Bible every day. He is a responsible, godly young man. You can go to the next one. Uh, that's him looking swag. Uh, in addition to... Uh, being a gymnast, he's also a baseball player, and uh, he loves to, uh, to mix some music, and um, he's just, he's, he's, a, he's the kind of kid that uh, whatever you're doing, if he's involved, it makes it more fun. So he's, he's a joy to be around. Uh, you can go to the next picture. This is my oldest. Her name is Soraya. She's 15 and a half years old. Can't forget that half. Um, she's, uh, that's another picture of her. She is uh, beautiful young lady. She loves to worship. She loves the Word of God. Uh, she is also a gymnast, and she is a very much a people person, and, and she will give you the best hugs. She has the best hugs. Um, we have one more picture I want to show you. Um, yes, this is also Soraya when she was born, and I wanted to show this picture because I want to just tell a quick story about my oldest daughter. Uh, when Melgene was pregnant with her, um, there were some complications. She had preeclampsia, and um, Soraya had to come early. She was a preemie. She was born two pounds, two ounces. That's my hand right there, and that's how big she was. Uh, she ended up being in the hospital for the first seven weeks of her life. Um, she is a miracle that she's here, a miracle that she's alive. Um, and um, But my wife, I, I remember the probably the second day, we had to go an emergency C-section, and uh, Soraya was born, and, and you know, I'm, my, my, my wife is in ICU because she's not in good shape because her body, things were having problems there, and she was in ICU for like five days and then ended up being in the hospital for seven altogether. Um, 
So I just remember on, on day two, uh, I remember this feeling, and uh, I'm already starting to feel it. Uh, I had this feeling, I'm, I'm sitting next to my wife in the ICU, and this is our first baby, and I have this, uh, this thought just like, man, my, my wife is sitting here in the ICU, and they're, they're trying to pump all this stuff, fluids out of her, because she's not in good space. And then my daughter is in the NICU, and she's, you know, in this incubator bed, and, you know, they, they couldn't even find diapers that were big enough for her. She was so small. And, and the thought came to mind, like, it's not going so good right now, right? And the question that I wanted to ask was, and perhaps this happens for you when you're going through something, is, you know, why is this happening? And that's, it's always the question that comes to mind, and it's not that that's a, an illegal question. It's not a bad question. It's just that it's not the best question. And as I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, my wife's in the ICU. My, my little baby girl is, you know, fighting for her life in the, in the NICU. Why is this happening? And the Lord just wanted to check me, and then he said, Jeff, the question to ask is not, why is this happening, but how? And I was like, come again, how? Yes, how will God be glorified through this? And it was like a perspective change, and I needed to realize, instead of like trying to figure out, what did I do wrong that this happened to me, or you know, what could have we done different for this not to happen? Instead, it was like, oh, how can God be glorified in the midst of my loss, in the midst of my crisis? And it was a perspective change. And all of a sudden, it went from my wife's in the ICU, my daughter is in the NICU, it's not going good, to my wife's in the ICU, my daughter's in the NICU. No changes, but they're still alive. And I can still fight for their life. And sure enough, uh, God fought for their life as well. And they're here and they're beautiful. And we had a testimony. In fact, uh, we got to witness to all the nurses that, that handled uh, Soraya during that time. We led one of them to the Lord. Our story went all the way up to the CEO of this particular hospital. Uh, so God got a testimony through my daughter's life, which was uh, a joy for us. Amen. And I, I share that not, not for any other reason, but perhaps you're going through something like that right now. That God wants to help you with his perspective on things. That the loss that you're going through, perhaps you're experiencing a loss. So where do we go from here? So let me just give you four things from this passage that we can do to move on from loss. Number one, build your home. Um, in this story, the prophets came and they came to El Elisha and they said, the place where we're, we're, we've got too small, we need to build, we need to grow. And I really sense that this church is in a place of growing. Obviously, there's, there's a building here, and there's a vision here in this house. Uh, they've shared with me the vision, and it's, it's great, and it's powerful. But they, the prophets felt like it was time to build. And I believe it is time to build and rebuild. It's time to build and rebuild prophetic and godly homes. You know, if this if pandemic has taught us anything, it's the value of our community and our family and our faith communities. You know, a lot of us, were, we already homeschool our children. And so with the pandemic, that was just an easy step for us. But for some of you, that was a new encounter for you. You know, children at home more. You know, you're working from home. The family life and the dynamics of that. And I really feel like we're in a season where God wants to build and strengthen homes so that we can have an influence on our community. You know, one loss we've experienced is that strength of faith and community in our church family that we've realized how much value there is. And I don't know what it's like out here in Florida, but in California, there were churches that were closed for like 
a year or even two, or never really reopened their doors. And so people were forced into realizing, well, how can I worship God? There's not a building. And they realized, oh yeah, we can do it right here in our home. We can open up the Bible and have family devotions. We can call some friends and we can get together and we can grow deep in God's word together. We can pray together. We can break bread together. We can have communion together. And they realized that church, you know, the building and all this, this stuff's going to pass. It's beautiful and wonderful and the vision you have here, it's awesome. But if this was all taken away, what we have as far as a community is what keeps us and sustains us. There's a saying that says, the light that shines the furthest shines brightest at home. Listen, you have a vision to go out into all the world and preach the gospel, that's great. But let the light in your home be the brightest and then shine out from there. Your family's your place to shine. I believe that healthy revivals don't just start in churches and spread. I believe they start in family life. Because if it just starts here and it doesn't affect our family life, then we still got marriages that are tense. We still have children that are rebellious, right? But once it hits our homes, man, that's when it really affects our communities. If we want to change the world around us, let's change the world we're living in. Amen? In my ministry, I'm focusing less on, oh, I'm going to go out and do this in the world. I'm more focusing on what am I going to do here with these three children? And how am I going to raise them up so that they can reach others? It's less about changing the world and more about changing me. Um, I'm just going to skip that part. I'm going to go to number two. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Number one, build your home. Number two, find your axe. Now, axe represents something in Scripture. Axe represents truth. And when he brought that axe out of the water, when it floated, water oftentimes in Scripture represents humanity, especially running water or a large body of water. So axe represents truth, water represents humanity. And here's how this makes sense. In our effort to reach humanity, we cannot make the mistake of being careless with the truth. I think too many times, us ministers, myself included, that we've made the mistake, and whether that's the charismatic movement or the American church in general, that we've lost touch with Scripture. In, in, in some circles, in many circles, we've lost touch with the very foundation of our faith. We valued gifts over fruit. We valued evangelism over obedience to God's Word. We valued being a witness over being righteous. And here's the truth. It doesn't have to be either or. It's both and more. Come on, right? It's like, a, it's like a double barrel shotgun. God wants to equip us with power and the word, man. When those two come together, we are indestructible, let me tell you. When we lay down discipleship for the sake of converts, now hear me, in the end we'll have neither. Our converts must never go, will only go on to be disciples of Christ if we arm them with God's word. So listen, I have a love for signs and wonders. I, we could go on stories of the things that we've seen and encountered, and you could too. God is great in that way. But you know what? Signs and wonders will deceive us if we do not retain a love for God's Word, a love for the truth. One of the most prophetic things you can do every day is to read the Bible. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be, you know, hours and hours, and I'm, I'm pouring into Leviticus and all that, you know. But that's one of the most prophetic things you can do is open up scripture, is grab your axe and use it. 
I was challenged years ago by a man of God. I was in ministry at the time, and he said, I want you to make the Bible your hobby. And I was embarrassed to say the Bible was not my hobby at that point. Sports or something else was a hobby, right? And I realized, man, I want to I make this my hobby. And since then, man, it, it's blown my mind what's, what's in Scripture. See, Bible, the Bible is, is this. The Bible is the only book that when you read, it reads you. You think you're reading it, but it's reading you. Did you know there's a, a statistic? If we, if we were to read cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, and there it is right up there, it would take us 70 hours of reading at, a, at an average pace to read through the entire Bible. That's 52 hours in the Old Testament, 18 hours in the New Testament. You break that down, that's less than 12 minutes a day to read through the entire Bible in a year. I want to challenge you. Have you never read through the Bible all together? This might be the year to do it. 12 minutes a day. Listen, you can do that. I can do that. Read, meditate, study, devotion to God. Spurgeon put it this way. A person whose Bible is falling apart usually has a life that isn't. Uh, Melzenay and I have a friend um, well, we, we've known years ago. His name is Gajigi, and he's from Kenya. Just a great brother in the Lord. And I love how the, the Africans talk. You know, Gajigi, you talk like this. And uh, just, he lights up the room, right? But one time we were, I was talking with Gajigi. I'm like, man, tell me about Kenya. And he's like, oh, Kenya. Kenya, beautiful place. So as a boy growing up, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll spare you my, my bad accent. Uh, my poor attempt at, a, at an African accent. Anyway, so he said, growing up, when we were going to school, um, they told us to be careful of the pythons because we have, you know, these big pythons in Kenya. And he said, we'd be walking to school, and they said, you know, if a python just happens to get wrapped around your leg, you know, pythons are constrictors, you know, they're not venomous, gets wrapped around your leg, you, you just find a, a nearby stick, and if you break the stick, the python thinks that it's broken your legs and will loosen its grip, and you can get out. I'm like, that might be good if I go to the Everglades, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I was like, wow, that's interesting. Like, they didn't teach me that in school. It was like stop, drop, and roll, you know what I mean? Totally different culture, right? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's all, you know, the, the pythons get so big, they can get as large as a school bus. And I'm like, hold up. There's a python that can get as long as a school bus? He's all, yep. So that's that's not a python. That is a telephone pole with an attitude. I mean, I don't want to meet that snake. He's like, oh, there's a famous story. So he tells me about this. There's this shepherd boy who, um, he uh, was out in the field, and he was tending to his flock, and uh, he had um, leaned up against a tree in the shade, and he had fallen asleep, and he was kind of like propped up like this, right? And he fell asleep for like 30 to 40 minutes, and when he woke up, he woke up staring eye to eye with a giant python that had swallowed him up to his midsection. I don't like that kind of alarm, right? I don't like alarms in general, but that wouldn't be very pleasant. Uh, what would you do, right? Well, come to find out, he was wearing a belt, and on his belt he had a sword, and his sheath was sticking out like this as he was laying down. So the the Python couldn't swallow him any further because his sheath and sword were sticking out like this, or he had stopped him. So he woke up, and, you know, he's like halfway swallowed. So the way that he survived is he pulled out his sword, and he had to cut his way out. 
That right there, my friends, is the Word of God. Listen, you ever find yourself in a place where you get wrapped up in something along your leg? Man, you, 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 be, you better find something to crack open, right? That's when the enemy loosens his hold. And if you ever find yourself in the crisis of a lifetime, staring face to face with the serpent himself, you've got a sword and you know what to do with it. When we lose our axe head, we lose our power for service. The young prophet said, alas, I love how they talk back then, alas, master, it was borrowed, is what he said. And I really feel like you need to take this up for you, not the guy up there preaching, not the one who's teaching your, your class. This, this has to, we have to take ownership of it. When we take ownership, he said it was borrowed, but when we take ownership, then it becomes ours. We lose all the benefits and promises of Scripture if we don't take ownership. Number three. Number one was, who remembers? Build your home. Number two, find your axe. Very good. Number three, throw your stick. So he, he comes to him and he says, ah, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's drowned. It's, it's, it's fallen in the water. What do we do? And Elisha says that he threw a stick into the waters to make the axe head float. Now, that seems kind of odd. Like, why a stick? And why didn't he just say, okay, axe head, in the name of God, arise, you know, and the, you know, it floats. That's not what happened. It says that he found a stick and he threw it into the water. Why do you think that is? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's speculation. <clears throat> but I'll give one thought on that is that I believe that our faith is proved not by our words, but by action. That there was an action that God wanted him to do to show that he had faith in God. <clears throat> Jesus tells a story about a man who had two sons. And he says to the first son, hey son, I want you to go out in the field and work. And the son says, I don't want to do that today, no thanks. But later has a change of heart and he goes out and works. He goes to the other son. He says, son, I need you to go out in the field and work today. And he says, sure, dad, I'll do it. But he never really got around to it. And so Jesus then asked the question, which one pleased the father? The one who said it? The one who sang it? The one who danced it? It wasn't that guy. He was the one who actually did it, right? Listen, all, all of our declarations and all of our creeds and all of our platitudes and promises and confessions great yes we need to do those things but it doesn't amount to a hill of beans if we don't have follow through in that you know whenever you hear about a, a celebrity that has come to christ I'm, i praise god for that you know this athlete he's he, he loves god he has scripture on his stuff this actor or this actress or whatever but you know what, anymore, I got to see action. I mean, you may say it, but I got to see it in your activity. Because I tell you what, when we stand before God, he's not going to be like, you know what, you did a really great job singing that day in church. That was so good. Or, man, you know, you taught that Bible study. That was amazing. You know, we're all, myself included. In fact, the judgment's going to be harsher on those of us who stand up here and teach. Did we live it out? Did we walk it out? It's our actions that are on trial. And it's our actions that prove our faith. My ministry, my anointing, my accomplishments, 
amount to nothing if I haven't loved others well. Actions prove our faith more than words can. Elisha took action. He took a stick and he threw it into the water. <clears throat> I like that Elisha didn't like scold the young man of, of God. He didn't be like, what were you thinking? That was a borrowed axe. Why would you be so careless to allow this axe head to fall into the water? Thank you, son. He didn't say, you big dummy. What were, you know? And really, that's the heart of a father. Listen, if we've gotten off track, if you've gotten off track, if maybe your sword has gotten dulled, if maybe you've led in some compromise, if maybe you've sort of justified, well, you know, it's, it's okay. God's not up there like, you big dummy. What, you know, what are you doing? What were you thinking? You have the heart of the Father. You know what, you know what Elijah said? He said, where to fall? And I really feel like when we find ourselves in a position where we're lost in an area of our life, God's saying, okay, let's go back to where it happened. Let's go back to where that departure took place. Let me just take you back there. And that's what repentance is. Repentance is let's go back to that place and let's restore it. There's no condemnation in this message today. Just as there's no condemnation in repentance. We all lose our edge from time to time. And we all lose things. God wants to get it back. Why did he toss a stick? <clears throat> I know um, your pastor and, and Brianna just got back from Israel, and I, I need a drink here. Um, <clears throat> years ago, my wife and I, <clears throat> we, um, we ministered in Jordan, and we got a chance to go to Israel. We had the unique opportunity to see the Jordan River from both sides, from the Jordan side and from the Israeli side. And what I didn't learn when I was on the Israeli side, that on the Jordan side, they had this monument that, and it was right around the area where they believe John was baptizing and where Jesus was baptized in the Jordan, is they had a monument of where Elijah was caught up into the heavens and the mantle fell on Elisha. So it got me thinking, huh, hmm. The same place where this story took place was the same waters where Jesus was baptized in. Same area, same waters. And here's why I think God had Elisha throw a stick into the water, because that stick represents the cross of Jesus Christ. Humanity is lost. We are all lost in our sin. We're drowning in sin. We're members of lost humanity. But God threw a stick into humanity, his son. Jesus was baptized in the same river that the axe head fell. In other words, he would be buried and raised to life just as the axe head was. That the saving of our souls, listen, the saving of our souls required a supernatural experience, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we choose to pick up our cross and die to our sin and we're water baptized, he draws us out of the water and he raises us to life in Christ. That is, that's the gospel. That's the good news right there. Throw your stick. And lastly, build your home, find your axe, throw your stick, and lastly, take it up. Verse 7, the man comes and he says, oh, it was borrowed. And he says, where was it? He gets the stick, throws it in there. And the axe head floats, and Elisha says to the man, take it up 
and he took it up. Now, when we use the phrase, take it up, <clears throat> what does that mean? It means a couple things. Number one, to take it up means to be intentional, to step it up a notch. Like, I'm going to take this thing up, and we're going to go to another level. It also means to put into practice. And I believe that's the message, and that's the word that I feel like I have for you guys today, is that it's time to take it up. Perhaps there's areas of your life that the Lord is saying it's time to step it up a notch. It might be your personal purity. It might be your prayer life. It might be your word life. It might be your home life. It might be, you know, fathers leading devotions in your family, being intentional about doing that. It might be something to do that God's calling you to do, but it's time to step it up a notch and put it into practice. Be intentional about it. Be intentional about walking in the supernatural. Be intentional about studying God's word. Be intentional about prayer. Because listen, if we're not intentional in this day and age, it's not going to happen. There's way too many distractions around us. We've got to be intentional. It's not enough to just say, oh, well, it's going to happen probably by osmosis. We've got to take it up. And I believe in this moment, in this day, and in this hour, we've got to take up the word of God in a new, fresh way. I'm praying for us as the prophetic movement, the charismatic movement, the church of America, that we would have a love for Scripture. And we would have, a, we would have love to say, not just to read it and study it, and that's great, but to put it in the practice. That's where the, the honey is. That's where the beauty is. That we could say, you know what? Scripture says to do this. I think I'm going to start doing that. And that's when you see miracles happen around you. That's when you see things begin to be miraculous in your life. When we take up God's word, it becomes an axe head, a supernatural weapon in our hands. Make it your hobby. Take it up into your hand. Take it up into your heart. Take it up into your homes. Take it up in practice. I'm just going to ask Kathy if you would come back. I'm, we're going we're gonna to transition right here. How are we doing on time? Okay. We're almost done. How many would just... Um, Give me five more minutes. <clears throat> Just raise your hand if you'll give me five minutes. Just, okay, that's great. Five, 10, 15, 20, 20. Oh, we got at least another two hours. This is great. All right. Leviticus chapter. No, I'm kidding. <clears throat> um, I want you to stand if you would. Go ahead and lift up your hands. Close your, close your eyes. I'm going to ask my wife if you could... Melchine, if you come up here and join me. <clears throat> Father, uh, we come before you on this day, humbling ourselves before you. And we thank you, Lord, that you are great and mighty and you know all things. I thank you for the people I stand before. And we've all got different stories in this room. I just sense there's some experiencing loss in certain particular ways, Father. The only way that can be found is through you. And those that maybe over the last couple of years have lost things, we know there's much more to gain, Lord. And I'm asking you to restore those things that have been lost. If there's something that you've lost, I just want you to take that thing, whatever it is, the memory of it, symbolically, I want you to just take it in your hand and I just want you to lift it up to the Lord and say, God, here's my loss. Let it be your gain. It maybe is sunk and feels like it is a sunken loss. 
it's never coming back. But I know through the power of the cross, you can resurrect all things, Lord. There's not one thing, Father, that cannot be redeemed. You can redeem it, Father. And I lift up those ones that are experiencing loss, particularly if there's ones that have lost a loved one in this room. Father, where that, that pain and the hurt and the confusion and the disappointment and the discouragement and the questions and the whys and all those things that come through the loss. Father, I'm asking that you cut through that right now in this moment. Father, where ones have been self-medicating through alcohol or relationships or pleasures that are contrary to Scripture, Father, for those ones that have been just grappling where their, their joy has been taken away, there's no peace. They've just been clinging to things that are earthly to give them some sense of security. Father, I'm asking for a supernatural lifeline. I'm asking in this moment, Father, that you give them way more in return than what has been lost. For those who feel like they have been drowning, that they're like that axe head that is just sunk to the bottom. Maybe it's like Jonah because of their own sin and they're reaping the consequences of it. And they feel lonely. That spark of life isn't there. Father, would you come? Would you send an agent to scoop them up? Father, those ones who are drowning in depression and loneliness and compromise and shame, God, pull them out. Pull them out of that rebellion. Pull them out of that impurity. Pull them out of that situation, Father, that is overwhelming for them. Lord, for those who have lost their edge and their passion where it, it's just not as... The, the prayer life and the word life just seem dulled and it's, it's going through the motion and it's one thing after another and it just seems like a loss after a defeat and they're beaten down. Father, lift them up, I ask. Lift them out of these waters, I pray. In Jesus' name, Father. I'm asking that you fight for us. Fight for our freedoms, Lord. Fight for those things that the enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But you came to bring life and life abundant. So, Father, we ask for peace, supernatural peace, joy, abundant joy, love so deep beyond this world, Father. Saturate our hearts. Go ahead and lift up your hands. Father, Holy Spirit, I ask that you just waves of your presence come, Lord. Waves of your presence, Lord. Beyond our, our comprehension, Lord, waves. Just receive the joy, the love, the peace. Let shame be washed away. Let guilt be released, Father. Father, things that we've said that have hurt others, Lord. Things, words that have been said that have been lodged into us, Lord. Release us from those things in Jesus' name. Come, Spirit of God. Come, Spirit of God. Come, waves of your goodness. Thanks for listening to Champions Church Sermon of the Week. Be sure to subscribe for more content each week. If you'd like to learn how you can partner with us, visit GodsChampions.com.